Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, Today I want to talk about the question of British national identity um, and its relationship to warfare in the 20th century. And I think it's really pertinent to talk about this now because um, as uh, Brexit is showing us, um, we're in another another period of great uncertainty about British national identity um, about uh, the English, Scottish, Irish and Welsh national identities and about what Britain is and its role in the world and uh, what the countries are all about and, by extension, uh, the people that live in it. And no doubt this will not be resolved uh, in, uh, in any brief or uh, swift way and will uh, go on ad infinitum. Um, but it's just part of... Um, an ongoing process of change in national identity or confusion over national identity that has really existed since the decline of the British Empire and the decline of Britain's role as a uh, global power. Um, And the uh, process of this occurring is intimately connected with a century of warfare. Now, earlier on this year, I was blogging a great deal um, on the explaininghistory.wordpress.com uh, blog um, about Benedict Anderson's um, classic study of nationalism, um, Imagined Communities. And the point that he makes, uh, one of the many, many points he makes in there, is um, nation is an imagined concept. The British state, um, the... Uh, ability of Britain to project its power militarily, diplomatically or economically, those are fairly tangible things. But a sense of nation, of national identity, involves a person um, essentially imagining the tribe they belong to. You will never meet all the members of that tribe in your life, um, and therefore you have to have a kind of a sense of imagined shared values what it is you think it means to be British, what it thinks you, you, you think it means to be French, German, Dutch, or anything else. Um, and the way in which Britishness has been imagined throughout the 20th century has changed, but one of the most straightforward ways um, of uh, imagining a sense of Britishness has been in uh, opposition to, um, or at odds with, other nations. 
um, a, a mid-century, perhaps, interpretation of Britishness, and this is something that has lingered on and, and on. And it's still a kind of a, uh, a, a way of articulating Britishness now, is the, are the, the two world wars and, and the, the, the simple and oversimplified statements that British people have made uh, about successes in those two world wars. The reality, if you read Adam Tooze's um, The Deluge, is that whilst Britain was on the winning side in the First World War, it loses out immensely from 1916 onwards to the United States in terms of market sh- world market shares, um, uh, the uh, tonnage of shipping, um, and the uh, shift from London to New York um, of the, the axis of, of world finance and the, the beginnings of the transition of Britain from being a global creditor to a global debtor nation. Um, so the, the first thing with the First World War, the, the, the argument that Britain won the First World War um, is a, a tenuous one. And given the two decades of economic crisis that follow, um, uh, even more tenuous. The idea that Britain won the Second World War is, you know, neatly skewered by many historians that say, well, nearly all of Britain's objectives that she went to fight for, um, the independence of Poland, the preservation of empire, and Britain's place at the kind of the global top table, um, are either lost by 1945 or within a a generation of 1945. Uh, Britain is uh, enormously... Uh, economically um, damaged by the Second World War and her um, empire is swept away fairly swiftly afterwards. So um, the idea of Britain um, as this all-conquering state um, is unsustainable and that's why perhaps some of the most cherished uh, British memories and British... um, mythologies of the Second World War revolve around sort of heroic disasters um, and the ability of, of Britain to kind of hang on somehow, by which obviously we talk about you know, the Blitz, Dunkirk and the Battle of Britain. Even when you see cinematic renderings of things like the Bridge on the River Kwai, the British um, down but not out, um, these, is, these, these have powerful emotional resonances uh, for cinema goers throughout the post-war era. Um, one of the complications for um, Britain is that it is a relatively new multinational state. Um, it, you know, devised from 1707 onwards and then um, between the Act of Union between England and Scotland, becoming um, the United Kingdom of uh, Great Britain and Ireland in, in 1800, and then this transitioning after 1922 with the independence of the Irish Free States and the Great Britain and Northern Ireland uh, emerging. So national uh, mythologies um, have to um, be form the kind of the glue, really, to hold together a, a kind of a fissile union of um, separate peoples, of which the English make up. Um, the the majority and all, always uh, historically have done, but a um, a Celtic fringe of Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland need to have 
uh, a narrative that kind of hinges that all together. Now, if you read The Long Shadow by David Reynolds, one of the points that he makes is that war has been the glue that's held the Union together throughout the 20th century, and it would have, we would have reached the point we're at now in the 21st century when Scottish independence is highly likely, increased devolution for Wales is highly likely, and Brexit has presented even the possibility of a, a unified Ireland uh, once more, uh, leaving a kind of a truncated England um, to its own devices. Um, this is entirely possible, says David Reynolds, or would have been entirely possible uh, had it not been for two world wars and the Cold War. Powerful external enemies make um, even the most uh, reluctant of neighbours in the British Isles firm friends. And you have to remember that at um, in every major campaign uh, fought in the, the, the Second World War, um, there were um, Scots Guards, um, Irish regiments, Welsh regiments um, facing the Japanese, fighting in Italy, fighting in North Africa, in Burma, um, in Normandy, uh, and all the rest. And the, a shared sense of ownership of the victory in 1945 uh, can't be um, uh, under, um, uh, underestimated. Some fairly skilful. Um, public uh, displays of um, uh, loyalty and public displays of um, uh, identification with the sufferings of the British people by the royal family uh, created a, um, a, a deep sense of um, uh, identification with the royal family in places like Ireland and Scotland um, and Wales uh, where now that that sense of identification is is perhaps in the decline, um, so that wartime generation, who many of most of whom have have now died out, um, have viewed um, the Union flag, um, the royal family, and a sense of Britishness as being part of their experience. And even though they might primarily identify as Scots, Welsh, or Irish, certainly that that wartime experience of collective hardship, of collective triumph and uh, collective difficulties is definitely there. And this isn't the first time it's emerged either. If you go back to look at the 18th century, if you look at Linda Colley's um, epic book, Britons, which I would just recommend to anybody with any interest in questions of national identity, as I would um, uh, Benedict Anderson um, or David Reynolds. Um, these are all three epic books. When Linda Colley writes about Britons, she said in the 18th century, um, one of the key um, factors that glue together um, disparate nations within the British Isles to create uniform, well, or a more uniform British identity is Protestantism, and the idea that there is a, um, a menacing Catholicism on the continent, constantly seeking to undermine God's realm in England and uh, and and Britain um and so um the there have been periods in in the past where this external threat has forged unity and it seems hardly coincidental that um Scottish Irish and Welsh nationalism have been in the ascendancy uh, since the end of the Cold War, um, the question has presented itself of, well, what is it we need to be frightened of in the outside world that we need to 
clean together in uh, a union that uh, many nationalists would argue no longer functions. The answer that tends to be presented at the moment is that um, the fickleness of world markets and currencies and uh, trading blocks and tariffs are the, the glue that should keep the United Kingdom together, we're better economically together, etc, etc. And it's just not as compelling a story as it's the Germans. War has been um, another, a, a unifying factor as well in terms of social conflict. The um, decision by the suffragist movement to abandon their activities uh, th during the, the period of uh, the First World War is a notable example. And the um, embracing of uh, the... Uh, patriotic spirit is sometimes it's suggested that this was a, a, a tactical decision by the WSPU and the Pankhursts to uh, demonstrate that you know, women as loyal citizens of the realm and of the empire could be trusted with the vote after the war. I don't think there's a great deal of evidence to uh, imply that. I think by and large what the picture shows us is that people like the, uh, the, the Pankhursts um, had deep um, patriotic and um, conservative with a small c views. They were um, entirely uh, willing to uh, embrace uh, a national cause and they equated uh, any uh, uh, threat from Germany um, as being one that would sweep away any democratic advances they made anyway uh, if the war was lost. I cannot imagine for a moment that um, had Britain uh, lost or not even entered the First World War that um, it would have affected the affairs of um, the WSPU and the uh, NUWS in one, uh, in one way or the other. Uh, but the, the popular view that was propagated at the time uh, was that really this is a, a struggle for civilization. And that um, whatever Britain is or is not, that the uh, the Hun, the German, represents barbarity. Uh, this view emerges again in uh, 1939. Um, if you read The Long Shadow by Richard Overy, a book that I'm sure I've banged on about on a number of occasions, um, he says that... Uh, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, the British Empire, uh, in the eyes of many um, educated um, British um, intellectuals and uh, politicians and you know the, the British bourgeoisie, if you will, represented some notion of civility, of order, of progress, uh, whereas um, Hitler uh, represented the possibility of a, a new dark age. Um, so civilization is a, uh, a theme that runs through British national identity as well. And many of the stories that British uh, people throughout the 20th century have told themselves about empire are like, well, you know, whatever it is, good or bad, at least we brought civilization to these people. Uh, convenient um, excuses for imperialism um, ha- have been a way in which kind of the British story, the British myth, um, has has propagated itself, and the division between empire and dominions um, is is all. Whilst that war is also a very interesting way of observing um, British national mentalities in remembering war and thus developing identity. Um, the fact that um, if we examine D Day, for example, that um, the British are mentioned, the Americans are mentioned. And the Canadians rarely are. And the Canadians are lumped in the, on most maps in school textbooks under the, the kind of the umbrella of, of Britain. Despite the fact that they're led by their own generals, they are um, sent to Europe with the blessing of their own parliament and prime minister, they happen to have a, a shared queen as a head of state, but you know one that intervenes on no level uh, in politics. Um, This gives you an idea of um, how Britain's sense of itself and its importance um, has emerged in the 20th century and how um, the the idea of Britishness uh, and um, the um, role and agency of the white dominions um, has kind of merged in, uh, in, in British national consciousness. Um, you know, when when thinking about how we won the war in North Africa, the role of South Africans, of New Zealanders, of Australians, let alone we haven't even spoken about uh, black and Asian soldiers yet. I will do that in in a moment. Um, and also, you know, the Poles, Free French, Free Czechs, and uh, other um, so uh, other regiments raised from the kind of the, the uh, escapees from from Europe. These always simply come under the um, umbrella of the British. Um, what you see fighting in North Africa from 1942 onwards is a, a kind of a multinational force of everybody from Poles to Indians to Greeks to French um, to British. Um, and so the, this rather inconveniently cosmopolitan uh, nature of, of things uh, tends to get um, shunted to the side. Now, Britain is, um, as as far as a, a kind of a national culture who um, uh, uses warfare and uh, these dramatic moments in history to develop a kind of a coherent narrative, is by no means alone in 
doing this. And most countries do. Um, it is a way of um, selecting key aspects of history and retelling them in a, in a particular light. Um, the, as I said, the, the use of um, Hindu and Muslim soldiers uh, in uh, Europe and in North Africa in the Second World War um, and in the, the Middle East during the First World War is again uh, largely overlooked. Um, in if we talk about the Middle East in the First World War, the figure that is most widely known is obviously uh, T. E. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Whilst Britain's history has been shaped by the uh, the actions of its imperial subjects, and Britain's wars have been always heavily reliant on Britain's uh, the British Empire's um, ability to project non-British power around the world. When the, um, the Second World War uh, ended, and there was no further prospect of using the Indian Army to keep control of British colonies in Asia, uh, the British Empire in Asia very quickly comes to an end, for example. However, for to make a coherent national narrative, this has the, these sorts of uh, inconvenient facts have to be rather kind of truncated and, and, and got rid of. Another method of developing national identity is that of tragedy, loss, memory and, and victimhood. And uh, Great Britain, along with perhaps nearly every other major world power, perhaps even every other uh, nation in the world, uh, has an ability to... Um, selectively remember the past. The losses of the the First World War um, were sufficient to uh, cast a shadow um, over the following two decades. Britain, the victorious nation, was also the victim. Uh, Britain had involved itself in a, a futile war which um, was seen as a, an enormous mistake by and large, um, and the country um, was populated with 37,000 memorials to the war. Now, the scale of losses comparative to the rest of Europe, which in total suffered, some, including the deaths from the Spanish flu afterwards, some 37 million deaths, uh, Britain uh, lost uh, under a million men. But the um, dominance of narratives such as Journey's End, uh, Brideshead Revisited, and the um, power of uh, Britain's war poets um, shaped the view uh, in the 1930s that um, Britain had um, experienced almost... Um, a mortal blow um, that the uh, the Britain that emerged uh, after the war um, was one that was faced with uh, almost inco um, sort of inconceivable um, existential challenges and, and crises uh, from extremist politics through to um, the sense that uh, if you read Arnold Toynbee. Um, that quite that civilization was was coming to uh, an end. The appeal of Winston Churchill as a figure is uh, perhaps explained 
through this um, need for um, national identity, for national unity, for uh, in a society that by the uh, eve of the uh, Second World War was um, still deeply socially divided, even though the Great Depression had come to an end some five years beforehand. And the um, uh, and it was a society um, where um, class resentments and class conflicts don't go away as a result of the war. They still exist and still emerge uh, throughout the the, um, the wartime uh, years. Um, but Churchill um, presents himself as a, a unifying figure, a rallying figure. His oratory and his ability to articulate clearly. Um, what the direction of war strategy would be, i.e. we will never surrender, um, is perhaps what stands him in, in, in most stead, his sort of decisions and frequent blunders as a wartime leader um, notwithstanding. But again, it is a myth to suggest that the nation came together. You only have to um, see how working-class evacuees, I'm sure I did a podcast on this ages ago, were treated very often by their rural middle-class hosts as uh, sort of almost, almost creatures. Uh, they're referred to uh, by uh, some of the uh, the people that um, uh, come to charmingly look after them. Um, the view that is um, presented through Pathé newsreels and through um, propaganda posters is, is that it is a nation coming together at one for defined national purpose. Though all the evidence suggests, uh, mass observation evidence suggests that this didn't really, really exist. And there hasn't been probably an opportunity to create a similar sense of uh, national unity ever since. Um, Perhaps the rebuilding process after the war, perhaps that brief period of time in the late 50s to the early 60s when the country is riding on on the wave of um, an economic boom, um, might have uh, presented something similar, but I doubt it. And this is why it's such an attractive. Um, this is why it's such an attractive fantasy. Uh, it's um, genuine um, elusiveness. This period of time uh, during the war when the nation appeared to be um, entirely united. After 1945, Britain has. Uh, involved itself in conflicts all around the world, from Northern Ireland to Aden to Rhodesia to Malaya. Many of these were combinations of post-colonial conflicts and uh, conflicts of decolonisation, along with um, the uh, ever-present threat of uh, Soviet interference during the Cold War. But none have really had... Uh, the ability to um, impact on British national identity in any meaningful way. Most of the uh, involvements of Britain around the world, things like the the Suez Crisis or the Malaya insurgency, are far away and difficult to understand and obscured. And generally, they present uh, unattractive narratives of national decline and Britain's involvement in things which uh, seem to, uh, at first glance, to have... Uh, little uh, real value. And of course, post 9-11 conflicts um, under uh, Tony Blair um, have 
had um, disastrous effects uh, in terms of uh, unifying people and state and uh, creating a, a sense of uh, shared values and, and trust. Um, and the uh, rallying cry of spreading democracy around the world has had precisely nil effect uh, in the minds of most British voters. Now you probably find if you were to transpose the things we've discussed in this podcast onto any other nation state, um, you find very similar uh, processes at work, senses of uh, victimhood, of uh, martyrdom, of uh, special purposes within the world, um, sen- a sense of um, unity in the face of a uh, a foreign enemy, that kind of thing, all which fuses national identity. But national identities are not static, they are fluid, because generations come and generations go. People with fixed views of things die out, and then their children and grandchildren inherit inherit very different material conditions of the world, uh, one which older stories don't really help to explain and solidify. Uh, And as a result, national identities, and indeed nations, become fluid. So there you go. Anyway, I hope you found this interesting uh, today, and you can find me on YouTube if you want to download any extra study stuff, which is um, I'm doing a bunch of at the moment. Um, and we're transitioning over to uh, a new platform, which is regrettably going to be based uh, on advertising, so that uh, you know I've got to eat, um, and. That means that I'll be able to put out a lot more content, so the Explaining History podcast should, God willing, within uh, a short space of time, um, be able to go to bi-weekly, if not slightly more often. Um, So I hope you stick with us, and thanks for your support. All the best. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.